Hello and welcome back to the Historical Humans Podcast. Today we truly are doing something just a little bit different. We finally hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube and to celebrate, we're diving straight into ancient Rome. My name is Justin Woods and I'm joined today by Colm Coleman and our special guest Aaron Gilpin. Colm, do you just want to dive us right in? I know this is your area of expertise and he's been frothing at the mouth ever I since we started. Do not start with that. You, just, <laughs> you, you say random words and no one can see us except on YouTube. Yes. And speaking of YouTube, so we made it to a thousand subscribers. We did not think we would get to this mark. Uh, certainly not as early as we have. Historical Humans has only been around for nine months, and we're all very excited uh, by this, and we're very, we're very happy with all the support the community has shown us so far. Uh, so, with that, we're going to come into the Flavian Dynasty. This is Imperial Rome's second dynasty. And it represents the first real transition of power between one dynastic family to another. And oh dear God, is it messy. <laughs> I love it so much. So, all right, so to kick us off, uh, we have in 68 uh, CE, Nero, fifth emperor of Rome, uh, sixth if you count Julius Caesar, which um, no we one don't. Does. No one does. Uh, you'd be surprised. Some people do. It's, it's so They're confusing. wrong. Anyone who's not a classicist some, for some reason counts Caesar as an emperor. Uh, I think Suetonius screwed up and made that a thing. <laughs> of course he did. Was yeah. he just a generic leader prior to that? Or had he was a dictator. Caesar was, Caesar's, Caesar's official title was dictator for life. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So that transcends yeah. emperor. Yeah. yeah. Emperors whereas, are second class to Caesar. Where, okay. whereas, whereas, the titles of, whereas the titles for the emperor were princeps, or first citizen, and imperator, or commander. <laughs> Eventually, they just stuck with Imperator. Yeah. But anyway, when Nero is deposed in 68 CE, he uh, he commits suicide after being run down by an armed mob. It happens. <laughs> Very fun. Uh, that is the end of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, which is Rome's first imperial dynasty. And there is no one left to succeed him. He has no heir uh, the Julio-Claudians have exhausted their lineage through extensive family murders and general mismanagement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They they had a real... Even after Augustus, you get, you, you get yeah, the, some rough the, moments. Yeah, the, well, the Julio-Claudian dynasty, five emperors, only two of them were good at the job, Augustus and Claudius. Yeah, and Claudius didn't even want the job. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he was good at it. That's true. He was a he was a quiet bookish man who knew what he was doing. The other, you know, Nero, Tiberius, and uh, what's his name? What was his name? Caligula. The third one? Caligula. Yes, Caligula. We're all me we're all megalomaniacs and murderous. <laughs> I mean, there's there's this idea that with Nero, at least, uh, it was more just bad propaganda that survived rather than him actually just being crazy but it didn't help that he toured he took advantage of the fire in rome to build the domus aria so yeah didn't he play his fiddle while rome burned that that is that is propaganda that is largely <laughs> propaganda however he was known to have such a large ego as to force people to sit through like eight hour sessions of just him playing the violin badly Funny, funny enough. Also, he had a statue made of himself as Sol Invictus. Yep, 
It's a colossal statue, and it's going to give its name to a very famous monument. <laughs> so I need to just force you guys to listen to my music for eight hours on end while I practice. No, listen. Nero was a megalomaniac, but he wasn't in, he wasn't particularly insane like uh, Tiberius and Caligula. Tiberius was in a oh, you can have no. a whole special episode. Tiberius, Tiberius did a lot of things that we cannot say here or anywhere else where there is a banhammer, because even though we'd be telling historical facts, they are so horrible. <laughs> but we're not here to talk too much about the Julio Claudians because. Right after Nero dies, we have 69 CE, the year of the four emperors. This is is a roundhouse civil war where essentially uh, all these Roman emperors or wannabe emperors just sort of pop up and play whack-a-mole with one another. (laughs) (laughs) It's wrong to call it a four-way civil war because it was a series of four two-way civil wars as each one popped up, fought another, popped up, fought another, popped up, fought another. Yeah, it's like it's like the. It was just. Uh, Something's just never change. Something's just never change. Yeah, it doesn't help that you know. So funny. So funny thing. There's a there's a process or well, there's a form of um, what's it called? Uh, election or elect or it's like a claimant or something like that, where hmm. essentially the soldiers declare their leader yeah yeah um, yeah the, the, the sort yeah your your le- legions under your command or the senate uh can declare you emperor um you have to then get to rome and get the senate to affirm you as emperor or get the military to affirm you as emperor if you are you know depending on which one you got first on account of the fact that that's those are basically the only two things you need to rule are soldiers and politicians <laughs> Yeah, they really simplified that recipe and really figured out a way to make it efficient. And yeah, Ro- the Roman Empire was a military state. To lead in Rome, you had to prove that you were a competent military commander, no matter what. <laughs> that was the primary qualification for the job: was be good at killing people with armies. Is he a warmonger? Sorry, that's what it was. It was proclaimment. Yeah. Where the soldiers like declare their uh, general as emperor, but yeah, they did have to be recognized by the Senate, and sometimes you can just do that by well, having an army near Rome. Well, when you have six legions on the bank of the Tiber, it kind of becomes pretty hard for the Senate to say no to you. Yeah. Again, another valid tactic if they're mm-hmm. not gonna do it by politics. Mm-hmm. That is Roman politics. Rome is a military dictatorship since, like, the dawn of time. Even the Senate was a military dictatorship when they ruled in a republic. Because to be in the Senate, you had to be a rich person who was, prov- who was a proven commander. Pretty much. And even then, their two, the two consuls were just essentially generals. Um, they're the only... Them and the, and the rank under them, the praetors were the yeah. only ones who had Imperium, which allowed them to essentially run yeah. armies outside of Rome. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's there's exactly one non-military post in the Roman government, and that's Tribune of the Plebs. And more often than not, that guy is a former military leader. <laughs> it's how you get popular. Yeah. Because all but, the uh, voters were have to serve in the military at some point, <laughs> they like it or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in order to in order to vote, you have to have citizenship and reside in Rome. In order to do those, oh, and things, a man, 
Yeah, yeah, and a man. In order to get citizenship and the right to reside in Rome, you have to either A, be born into it, or B, serve in the military for about 10 years. <laughs> wow. Or or there is a there is also another path, but that takes longer and it's generational. Yes, we're not going to talk about how money speaks in the uh, Roman Empire. <laughs> well, not only that, like you could be, you could have your like great grandfather a slave, and then by the time you're born, you could be technically a Roman citizen. But it takes again. That's generational, yeah. and there's a lot faster ways to do it sometimes. Yeah. Usually by stabbing people for ten years on behalf of the government. It works. <laughs> If you survive. Yeah. But anyway, uh, our first emperor of the year, the four emperors, uh, the guy who steps up into the void uh, to restore order at the start of this is Galba. He's a very old and respected general. He controls the legions of Spain. He's He's got a good deal of authority behind him. And, you know, he seems at first like he might be a decent choice. He's not going to rule for too long. So if you don't like him, he can kind of wait a little bit. Because he's so old and he's got he's got the proven qualifications to do it. The problem is, uh, Galba is an absolute monster, and his own people kill him. <laughs> I I would also like to mention that like some of these people, they weren't in power for so long because at this time, uh, in order to like get the image of the emperor out, you would make a marble bust marble busts take quite some time and so sometimes the only image that we have is on coins because coins can be minted a lot faster yeah the the not not a single person here ruled for longer than six months yeah so uh, fun fun times to be uh, a, to be a sculptor yep uh he's succeeded by his uh supporter and the only man to not enter rome as emperor Otho, who is ironically the man who has him killed. Yeah. Um, Otho is an imperial governor and a politician who had declared for Galba, but decided that he could do the job better after Galba decided to be a power-mad dictator. <laughs> um, his only real military backing was the Praetorian Guard, which is the uh, sort of mini-legion that is... Uh, appointed to protect the emperor's life. Which, you know, very much explains how he managed to kill the previous emperor. <laughs> yeah, well, you you get a theme with this later on. Yeah. Yeah. He commits he commits suicide after uh, a number of legions declare for the third emperor, Vitalis, uh, and his small military force is crushed in the battle of uh Bedra Bedriacum. Bedricum. Hmm. I cannot speak. <laughs> yeah. Because he has no real military. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, it's going to take us as we rush through these uh, four powerful characters is we have uh, Vitellius, who is a general uh, who's been tasked with patrolling the Rhineland and has the army of the Rhine, which is this military force designed to keep the Germans out of France a millennia long problem. They're not very successful after a certain point. They're not very successful ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's impossible to patrol that border. Well, um, what makes the Rhineland so difficult to guard? 
It's a massive river. <laughs> ah. It's just a massive river, and it's impossible to patrol the entirety of that river. That's what so the outposts are for. Yep. So at any point in time, people just run across wherever you're not. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so Vitellus, he gets to the throne, and it's not too long after that uh, Vespasian rises to challenge him. And Vespasian beats him at the second battle of Bedricum. Uh, you think he would have learned that setting up in the same formation as the guy he beat in the exact same place would uh would be a bad thing <laughs> but no no he deploys just like Otho and gets crushed just like Otho <laughs> and uh so he gets executed by uh Vespasian's uh, brother uh who is just so happens to be the commander of the Rome of the Roman city guard <laughs> oh yeah Ooh. that's that's one like... way to get killed <laughs> yeah how did that how did that slip his oversight? Those pesky guardsmen. <laughs> well, the, the big reason is uh Vespasian's voice in Rome, while Vespasian is away being a general and a governor, is his is his youngest son Domitian, whose job is to work with the Senate and sort of represent the family. Vitellus thinks that if he takes Domitian hostage, all the Flavians will uh will back down. Commit, yeah. However, Vespasian's brother's like, that's not my son. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. He's just like, ah. That's well. like, well, it's not my kid, and my brother has two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, we'll kill him. He's like, okay. It's not my kid. <laughs> Doesn't go well. Uh, Vespasian is declared for uh, by his legions in Judea, where he uh, where he is currently putting down a, a revolt against the Roman Empire. Um, Vespasian enters Rome, and the Roman Senate uh, declares him emperor on December 21st of the year 69. <laughs> nice. And <laughs> after that, the succession crisis kind of dies out because... By this point, Vespasian uh, has control of Egypt, and if anyone opposes him, Rome starves. <laughs> yeah, at this point, um, Egypt yeah. is the new breadbasket of the Roman Empire. It used to be uh, southern Italy for a long time. However, the rivers of the Nile was the only land fertile enough to support the massive Roman population of several million. And Rome needed daily shipments of grain from Egypt in order to not begin starving almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the at this point, whoever controls Egypt controls Rome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, it's 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 bad. But uh anyway, Vespasian is going to be the founder of the Flavian dynasty. His name is Titus Flavius Vespasianus. We know him as Vespasian and his dynasty as the Flavians. They are uh, they are going to rule Rome for the next uh, twenty seven years, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but because <laughs> it isn't. 
yeah it is it is rome's it is rome's shortest imperial dynasty the uh other four imperial dynasties of and these are dynasties of what is known as the principate era so this is the time from augustus to the third century crisis uh are the julio-claudian dynasty which had five emperors rule for 95 years the flavian dynasty had three that ruled for 27 the Antonine had seven emperors that ruled for 96 years. And the Severan dynasty, which had five emperors rule for 42. <laughs> so Flavians, you know, they're the smallest dynasty by far out of all of them. They've got the fewest emperors and the shortest time. But they do a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, Namely, one of their biggest things is uh, they win the first Jewish war, uh, which is also called the Great Jewish Revolt, sort of like how um, the First World War is called the Great War because no one knew there'd be a franchise. <laughs> there weren't any sequels planned yet. Let's just yeah. hope there's one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the first, Ju the first Jewish war was a... Uh, rebellion against some of the policies of Emperor Nero that started in 66 uh, CE. Um, I believe the main focal issue for this one revolves, uh, as with all of them, the worship of the imperial family, because emperors were deified uh, typically upon death, sometimes while they were living, and you were expected to pay tribute to the god emperor. <laughs> And or all at the, the other least, gods, usually. Yeah or, yeah, or at the very least, the imperial family. And Roman policy said that you didn't really have... You weren't, as an individual citizen, forced to really worship any particular god or set of gods. However, whatever deity you worshipped must be worshipped in addition to the imperial family. The imperial family were mandatory gods. The people of Judea are Jewish, they know only one god and no others. This caused problems. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I can see why. Um, I should. I would like to also know. Um, so it's really funny. Um, so technically, uh, you weren't an emperor. wasn't a god necessarily until they died, but you still had to kind of treat them like they were. So in all depictions of emperors while they are alive versus when they're dead, one of the key characteristics is whether or not they're barefoot. If they're barefoot in the depiction, the depiction happened after their death. Mm -hmm. But if it's before and they have sandals, then that's before they died. But you still have to like make sacrifices as a way to like because it's uh, it's the cause. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a cult. cult of, it's the cult of the imperial family is what it is. <laughs> So if you're sacrificing to them, you're not technically sacrificing to them as Emperor Vespasian, the individual. You're sacrificing to the guardian spirits that are the house of the Flavians who yeah. are protecting all of Rome. You're sacrificing to the Julio-Claudians to protect all of Rome and her holdings. And uh, the Jewish people do not appreciate this idea of sacrificing to someone's dead spirits. <laughs> Isn't there like a commandment about that? Yeah, well, there's a in Christianity there is a commandment like thou shalt not take a god before me. So I and, mean, and yeah, that, no, that after is, is fine. 
yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I believe that commandment comes from Moses. So it is also held in the Jewish uh, tradition. Okay. That commandment comes from Moses. Moses is the original uh, prophet. And so basically, yeah, any to sacrifice or treat anything other than the than the one true God as a deity is worshiping of false idols and sacrilege by the Jewish faith, which means they can't worship the cult of the imperial family, which means they're technically, re you know, they're technically rebelling and committing crime against Rome. Uh, Rome uh, cracks down on this under Nero because Nero's ego can't take it. And the Jewish people decide that they don't want to be a part of Rome. <laughs> there's also this idea that uh, Rome has to be at peace with the gods, Pax Deorum. Oh, yes. So yes. if you don't make if you don't make the required state sacrifices, you are a threat to that peace. Yeah. Yeah. Roman religion is a series of hostage situations. Basically, the Roman people must make sacrifices to the Roman gods so that the Roman government doesn't attack them. The Roman government must ensure that people make sacrifices to the Roman gods so that the Roman gods do not destroy Rome. <laughs> it's a series of hostage situations that just starts falling like dominoes the second any significant group of people step out of line. And the entire province of Judea is a significant group of people. And even then, like, originally it was, it was mostly a client state, so they were... Admit, there were some exemptions, but after the rebellion, those exemptions were gone. Yeah. So uh, Vespasian has 80,000 men at the behest of Nero to go to Judea and crush this revolt. This means that Vespasian has the largest standing army at the time that Nero dies. Wow. Which is why he gets the throne in the end, because he has access to more troops. Which means more people will declare for him than anyone else. Which means he then has access to even more troops. <laughs> it's just a domino effect. It's it's literally a sword measuring contest. I like how you. Just... <laughs> I hate you for that. I really ah. hate you for that, Colin. Welcome. And I was gonna say, like that is pretty much this the house of cards. It's like, yeah, well, I've got the large army. Yep. I have a Hulk. Yes. <laughs> we do not support that franchise. Had, I thought the beast had wandered off. <laughs> but yeah. So at the time at the time he takes power, he's currently engaging in the siege of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city of Judea, it's the capital of Judea, and the defenders are holding it to a man. This is a holy war for them. And it is, you know, it is, you know. It is. It is. We are going to God, or we are going to glory. It's almost as if that city in particular has faced a number of historical sieges. Yeah, I'm sure that won't be a trend. In I don't. Th that, it's so rare for it to happen multiple times in the Listen, same location. We 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 are in Judea. A significant portion of the bad guys are going to be Romans, <laughs> like in Book of Brian. Or in life of Brian. Brian yeah. If you are going would... to quote Monty Python in this holy castle, you uh, must correct it appropriately. You know, actually, I just want a book of Brian. I want that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's anyway, what the script this... is called. Yeah, Vespasian uh, to march on Rome entrusts the governor entrusts the winning of this war 
to his son, his eldest son, Titus. Uh, you may remember Domitian, his younger son, is in Rome being a statesman slash hostage at this time. Titus is off being Vespasian's right-hand general. And this is going to come up later with the two brothers uh, as uh, shit develops. <laughs> but uh, he entrusts it to the son Titus, and within uh, four years, Titus has won the war. He has torched the city of Jerusalem. And he has uh, brought all of its treasures back to Rome in a glorious triumph. <laughs> uh, among these treasures uh, is uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, it's depicted. It's depicted on the on the uh, on uh, on Titus's arch. It's it's like the menorah and yeah, supposedly the Ark. That that one's that one's a wait. Didn't they find it? In that Supposedly Indian... it was supposed to be in Ethiopia. Well, I was. It's I was supposed to be a. It's supposed Indiana to be a lot Jones of movies. I saw Harrison Ford with the Ark, and it killed all the Nazis. Remember? That's not a real. That's not a real archaeologist, Justin. You know this. <laughs> then but why do I have this hat? There is a. You're not wearing a hat. <laughs> no, but I do. Every archaeologist has an Indiana Jones hat. Sure. Unfortunately, true. <laughs> We've all thought about it. <laughs> but yeah, with uh, with the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the Ves Vespasian and the Flavian dynasty is secured, because now that they now they've sort of mopped, that's the last thing from Nero's reign that they've had to do, and they've they've mopped it up, and it's proven them to be very capable very prestigious military leaders, which is what you need in Rome. And Vespasian was very much aware of how tenuous his position was as only the second dynasty. He had, you know, they had to overthrow three other people just to get to him. Damn. So this is all happening within a year. Yeah. This is yeah, a this, whole year. Yeah. Uh, well, the siege of Jerusalem Ooh. goes on until 73. True, but the de the year it yeah. is the year of the four. It emperors. is the year, yeah. The three people who died to become emperor was all one year. So, like, this military victory is huge for Vespasian because it's the, sort of the final proof that the Flavians are destined to rule Rome. The Flavians are capable of ruling Rome. There shall be no further challenge. <laughs> <laughs> discussion not for closed. A long time. Yeah, yep. just discussion closed. Case resolved. Next. Yep. Yeah, so the uh, so we come to uh, Vespasian, who is going to be the first emperor. Uh, the entire Flavian dynasty really just consists of him and his sons. And Vespasian rules for a prosperous 10 years, from 69 to 79 CE, which a decade as emperor of Rome is a pretty decent track record. So That's a pretty stable reign for these people. They lasted 27 years, and that was 10 years of it. So... Either both sons had a moderate career, or one of them yeah. didn't quite make it as long. Yeah, Titus doesn't go very long, but um, <laughs> we'll come to we'll, we'll we'll come to that in a minute. So Vespasian has a major problem with the Flavian dynasty ascending onto the throne. See, Vespasian is from the Italian gentry, which means that he's his uh his social status is that he's one of the uh allied italic states from the early days of rome 
he's not a true Roman-born Roman in the sense that Romans think of it. He is not a man who has been born in the city of Rome to a family exclusively from the people of the city of Rome. He's an, he's an outside aristocracy in the eyes of the Senate. Ooh. And that really, really contributes to a lot of his decisions. The plus side of this is when he starts making reforms and cutting back on the expenses that Nero had, all the self-indulgences, he's able to do it pretty easily because those are Julio-Claudian expenses. Those are Roman-type expenses. I'm not, a, I'm not a true Roman. I shouldn't live in that kind of grandeur. You know, gold-plated, you know, rose petals for dinner thousand you know you know ten thousand denarii uh for a single uh for a single night of drinking those are wow those are roman roman expenses i'm just an italian aristocrat i shouldn't have that kind of a uh, price tag on my dinner how humble i respect it though i mean that is a good power move like yeah. look at me i am a man of the people i am not like these other guys i don't need such grandeur uh, yeah. Hashtag so yeah. relatable. It also uh, it also led to him uh, just basically looking around at a lot of uh, imperial held lands and saying, "You know what? That's going to be a public work now. That's going to be a public work now. That's going to be a public work now." Because he knows that he's going to need popular support to rule Rome. Because the Senate, as much as they accept him because of his strength, is not going to be fully with him. And it gives him an excuse to really propagandize because architecture speaks. Roman, this ancient city of Rome was a series of propaganda machines for different emperors building grand monuments so that you knew just how strong these men were. Yeah, so and, one, of the, one of the interesting things to know is that the Senate had... Uh, if you see any monument with SPQR on it, it means that the Senate is dedicating that that monument to so and so. So that's a that's an interesting yeah. thing to know. Yeah, it is. yeah, the SPQR stands for Senatus Populus Que Romanum, which is the Senate and the People of Rome. And it's meant to say the Senate and the People of Rome give you whatever the hell it's whatever the hell this is. Uh, these days it's mostly stamped on like manhole covers and lampposts. <laughs> Because that's what the city spends money on to maintain the city. <laughs> and free water. Oh, yes, lots of free water. That's, How do you that's... stamp it on the water, though? It's on the water spigot. <laughs> mm. Which, yeah. honestly, is such a great idea, uh, considering how much you have to actually just walk around the city. Yeah. So, like, it's, a, it's not, it's like almost a guarantee thing that if you have a water bottle or something, you know, you can fill it up with a spigot or you can, like, or how it turned on for your like dog to drink out of it's really yeah. cool so it now what what kind of things did these public works end up being were they like parks were they venues were they at like were they oh, places they were where... they were venues all right oh, <laughs> they, every, no. the romans were even if they if the public work was extremely decorated and decadent 
it still had to serve a function. Yeah. So especially with the arches, uh, it's supposed to rep it's supposed to be a physical representation of a process in which captured soldiers were supposed to go under the swords of their uh, conquerors, conquerors, yeah. yeah, as a way of as a form of submission. Yeah. So the arches are a symbolization of you are walking under the arch and you are submitting to Rome and whoever this monument's dedicated to. Yeah, so they built a lot of these massive monumental arches of triumph that you would then parade your prisoners through that you took in war as a big symbol of, you know, hurrah, you are then, you know, defeated and humiliated. Um, which, let's be honest, being dragged in trains through the streets, it's pretty humiliating. You kind of get some things thrown at you, too. Yeah. Oh, like rotten fruits. But, uh, yeah. Rotten fruits, rocks. Oh, my favorite. Shoes, uh, probably. Latrine pens. <laughs> nah, nah. Roman, about that one. Average Roman citizen's not rich enough to throw a shoe at you. <laughs> <laughs> these people need grit. These people need daily bread handouts to live. <laughs> Considering that I walked around those streets, yeah, those shoes are like vital. Those basalt roads, God. Yeah, it's horrible. But uh, they do. The Vespasian does commission the venue to end all venues. He builds. The Flavian Amphitheater. He dies before it's completed, but he start, but he makes sure it gets built. Uh, this is what we know today as the Colosseum, because Ooh. he decided to build it next to the colossal statue of Nero as the god of the sun. Yeah, uh, location is a fuck you to Nero. Yeah, so funny story about that. Um, the look. The Domus Aria, which was Ro which was Nero's imperial palace, um, was torn down under Vespasian to mm -hmm. build the Colossus or the Colosseum. But funny enough, um, since it was the statue, the Colossus statue is essentially supposed to be a depiction of a god, but with Nero as a god, they have to ask the god. If it's okay to take the statue, either to either probably maybe not even destroy it, but just to move it. And the omen they got said no, evidently. So they just kind of had to leave it. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny like that. But another thing is, like, building this amphitheater, one colossal scale, it's like crazy. But it another thing is amphitheaters were banned in Rome, in Rome proper for a long time because amphitheaters can often be a source of plays which could be used to either mock the aristocracy but also if for hosting games and it, they can get the people riled up and therefore rome didn't need that in the middle of their city because that if the people get riled up it can be yeah. it could be mayhem. So all amphitheaters had to be temporary and yeah. built in the campus Martius or outside the city limits in general. Mm -hmm. And they had to have a permit. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the first permanent one in the city of Rome because entertainment is so hard to come by for the people of Rome. And just building this makes Vespasian and the Flavians hugely popular with the Romans. <laughs> as a people because they're going to they're not just going to get an amphitheater they're going to get the amphitheater to end all amphitheaters 
its scale is designed to match the city it's built in. Rome is a city of a million people. This thing can house them. Not all million at once, but it is a sufficiently sized theater that it can hold enough people that you can actually have venues and most people go. Honestly, you probably wouldn't even have to go that day because the games would probably last all week. So as long as you went to one of those days, you know, you would probably see the games lasted for 100 days. Yeah, that's the inaugural games uh, by Emperor Titus in when the when the game when the city was when the structure was completed in in the year 80, just after Vespasian's death. Wow. And then uh, in an effort to one up his father and brother, uh, (laughs) Domitian added another level to the top to house more people and introduced the Hypogeum, which is an underground network and tunnels that are currently exposed to the air today, designed to allow people and animals to appear in the middle of the amphitheater at will and to flood the amphitheater so that you could have actual ships sail around in it and host a naval battle. I still don't fully comprehend that. Like, how did they waterproof it? How did they manage to bring so much water? So so let me tell you a little bit of a story. So to understand the grand size of the Dobus Aria, there was a whole park within it that had wild animals and a working pond that was... So what's thought is the Colosseum took it after like the pond was drained because the pond was regularly drained and cleaned and put and had like fresh water in it. So essentially what they did was in the original, in the original design, um, it was, they took advantage of those original drains to do like the naval battles. But after a while, but at some point they were removed for, to put in like the underground part. Mm-hmm. for where you would have the staging grounds underneath the arena but all those tunnels still connected to the uh underground aqueducts that were feeding the pond so it's pretty simple to just turn it on turn it off pretty much yeah <laughs> interesting you know I, th- I guess the reason it baffles me so much is to consider that that was two thousand years ago yeah. and they had plumbing they had running water yeah. but just that scale and size yeah. is very impressive but- the Romans are masters of exactly two things when it comes to building. Uh, water management and concrete. And between those two skills, they can basically create anything. Yeah, I like that favorites. they finally feed... Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, my favorite, my favorite um, uh, construction project that the Romans did happens actually earlier on, and it's the Sanctuary of Fortuna Primagenta. And it's like the, one of the first testaments of the uses of concrete in the Roman world. And cause it just essentially allows them to make sturdier, more exact, like more bizarre structures. Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they mastered, they mastered concrete. They then mastered waterproof concrete using volcanic materials instead of the normal, uh, the normal, uh, well, not, not just that, but that that was what I was going to bring up earlier. One of my favorite facts is that they couldn't figure out the recipe for Roman concrete because they kept using fresh water. Yeah, it's salt water plus volcanic ash. <laughs> yes, that is the secret to Roman concrete. Try it yourself today. Do yeah, go build your own structure, kids. <laughs> go yeah. build your own coliseum. Show not, me how great not. you are. <laughs> 
we do not we do not condone amateur uh, amateur engineering. Hermits are overrated, kid. Send us pictures of your creations today. No, don't do that. Uh, so yeah, he he builds the Colosseum among all the other works that he does. This is the big one, and he does he starts a lot of these projects from Egypt because he spends the first year of his reign in Egypt just making sure that if anyone goes against him, he has all the food. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And this right here is where you sort of see a split in his authority and uh, the dynamic between his sons. Because while he's in Egypt, during the first year of his reign, uh, Titus is in Judea, fighting a war as a successful military general, winning glory for the dynasty and the empire and himself. Domitian is in Rome with all the senators and the bureaucrats actually filling out the paperwork and making sure everything that Vespasian wants done is getting done by the Senate. These are two very different sources of power and authority. And both men are kind of poised to be his heir apparent throughout most of his reign. <laughs> it's not healthy for either of them. <laughs> Two brothers killing each other for power in Rome? Haven't heard that story before. <laughs> that's how, that's the most Roman thing in Roman history is to just to kill your brother for power. Fratricide. No, All right, kids. Murderer. If you live in Rome in today, please do not kill your brother. We do not condone uh, hermanicide. <laughs> it'd be it'd be oh it'd be a fratricide. No, stop that, Colin. We know better. We do not condone mother or. Murder. We don't condone murder at all. We don't condone mothers? What's wrong with you? <laughs> all right. I but, condone mothers. Yeah, uh, it's unconfirmed whether or not they kill each other. Well, it's unconfirmed, it. but we'll come to that in a minute. Because uh, <sighs> first, uh, because we've got a few more things that Vespasian does to really make the Flavians a powerhouse. Uh, then one of the things he does is he reforms the Senate. Because see, one of the things that happens in civil wars with Romans is most of the people who are important in those wars are also senators. Which means that these senators are back are more often than not backing losing sides. And in Rome, when you back a losing side, you are killed and your assets become assets of the state. So after four emperors in one year, the Senate is somewhat short-staffed. Oh man! I can just imagine like there's like twelve of them left just sitting around like oh man, what do we do, guys? Sucks about that guy here. And what Vespasian does is he reforms the Senate by allowing the equestrian class. This is a class of wealthy, landed, typically horse-owning, hence the name equestrian, individuals who are the social rung on the Roman ladder just below the patrician class, which is where the senators usually come from. He promotes a bunch of these equestrians into the patrician class, thereby gaining a lot of loyalty from the Senate. Because now the majority of people in the Senate owe their seats to the Flavians and Smart. not to their grandfathers, as most people in the Senate would you know, it's technically not hereditary, but it definitely is. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to care, right? That's not going to be an yeah. issue at any point in time in Roman history. Yeah, but... Not like flashpoints happen all the time. 
Yeah, so he rebuilds the Senate, and he institutes new taxes because the Treasury is decimated. A year of civil war and Nero's decades of corruption have just left. There's no money. And Vespasian needs to get building fast. So he starts taxing things. And there's actually some pretty popular taxes. Like, he's putting in new taxes, but people seem to really like them. The uh, the biggest one I found was he put a tax on urinals. <laughs> had to pay to use the bathroom in Rome. That's a pretty Roman thing nowadays, though. European in general, having to pay to use the bathroom. Yeah, I, I've seen that one in a few countries. <laughs> it starts with this man. Oh, great. So now we know who to blame. We have to go on. 2000 years in the yeah, past. It's a Euro, bastard. It, it's a euro to it's a euro to use a toilet. Him. It's all Vespasian's fault. Dude, Damn if we had to you, pay Vespasian. taxes to you if we had to pay like a tax to use the bathroom here, the amount of people who would probably just use it in front of the door, like we are a spiteful people. I would be screwed. I would be like so broke. Yeah. I mean, we got to make up for it. Our state just yeah. got rid of the gas tax for a year. And grocery yeah. tax. That too. Yeah. So, uh, oh. Yeah. He, you know, his son, Titus, concludes the, you know, the first Jewish war with a resounding Roman victory. And uh, thanks to those things, he's able to establish sort of this myth that the Flavians were destined to rule. They've struck down all their enemies. They've crushed the rebellion against the Julio-Claudians. They are the heirs apparent. And over a third of the coins that they mint in this period it have inscriptions to the military victories of the Flavians and the peace them. they bring. And which now, is an absurd number. Like, one out of three coins basically have written on it Vespasian, the man who brought you peace. The coins are always fun because the best way to spread propaganda, especially in Rome, is through the coins because you can mint them so fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. amount of coins you could produce in a month is absurd. Like, we think that, like, we, like, on, the, on this scale in ancient Rome... Insane. Like we think about here in the modern era, like how fast we can print money. It, I mean, like it's industrial, but it's also insane for the period of Rome. Pretty oh yeah, it, it is absurd. Equally absurd is the standing bounty that Vespasian had for histories, uh, for historians to write about him and his family. If you wrote a history of his rule or his family and brought it to the government and let them read it over and maybe make a few suggestions. <laughs> oh, so you could get a lot of money. And most famous historians of the period uh, took, took up on that offer. Suetonius, Tacitus, Pliny the Elder, and my personal favorite, Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish man who writes the history of the great Jewish revolt. And even though his people are massacred, his religion mostly outlawed, and his holy city burned to the ground, he still describes Vespasian as a savior. Wow. 
Gee, you know, is considered mostly unbiased. But he got paid to say that. You know, we talk about how I mean, the removal I mean, of certain topics in textbooks in the modern era is rewriting history. Now we know where to just keep focusing all this like modern hatred. All the things we hate in the modern era started here. Americans are tw- Americans are Romans with oil. That's all we are. <laughs> oh, so we're the third Rome. Got it. No, we're we- fourth Rome. We're we- fourth Rome. <laughs> Oh yeah, so, Finland. Finland's Colum, fourth is third Rome, right? Column. I think that needs to be the merchandise that we release. Is America is Rome with oil, and just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, we might have to. We might have to. Uh, this. Uh, you know. I mean, we we kind of did some stuff similar. Yeah. I mean, our constitution's kind of based on some yeah, stuff in, out of Rome. Mm-hmm. Our architecture. How we have a statue. Of George Washington in the likeness of Jupiter. <laughs> we don't talk about that. You know, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about Jupiter. No, 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 no. There's a lot of weird cultish stuff that we have. We have a freaking obelisk as a monument to a man. <laughs> well, said man, <laughs> said man had very obelisk like features. And then also we have like this weird painting in like I think it's the Capitol or the White House, uh, where it's like all like all of like the Roman gods, and then George Washington again is in the center of it. True. <laughs> it's like yeah. a it's like a it's Wait. like an American version of a famous painting. I can't There's, quite remember yeah, which one it is. Yeah, we we have, we we have a problem. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, he he also. Uh, suppresses a lot of his dissenters and this is the main source of any negative criticism against Vespasian is uh is the stoics the stoic philosophers they're they're a group of philosophers that they effectively don't care what happens they have a general belief of accepting that if it's going to happen it is going to have happened and you need to do your best to just deal with it and move on (laughs) It's, you know, work. So they really didn't, there wasn't really a lot of threats Vespasian could level against them. Because it's like, you know, if I, you know, if I am afraid of losing something, I do not ask God to not lose the thing. I ask God to let me lose my fear of losing this thing. That's the, that's, that's, that's Marcus. The Stoics. That's Marcus it Aurelius. Is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Marcus Aurelius, a later Stoic. Uh, so he exiles a large number of them just to get them out of Rome, out of places where people can really hear them. And uh, he publicly executes uh, a Stoic by the name of Helvidius Priscus, because Helvidius Priscus was of the opinion that since the Julio-Claudian dynasty was dead, Rome should go back to its previous form of government. The imperial experiment has failed. The em- line of emperors has ended. We should be a republic again. This did not go well for Spacey. Yeah, I wonder yeah. why. It's kind of hard for an emperor to go, you know, what we need is less emperor. Yeah. What? We need less authoritarianism. When? No, no, no. I, need... I know what's best for my people. We yeah. need more. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it is after this that Vespasian is becomes one of the few emperors to simply 
die of old age. Wow. <laughs> it's a real feat. Dies of natural causes on Crazy. June 23rd, 79 CE. Oh, we missed the anniversary. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he is succeeded by his eldest son, Titus. And it's kind of a it's kind of a coin toss as to who should be his heir. Because when Titus takes the throne, Domitian is this extremely popular, well-established politician in the city of Rome. And Titus is just the older brother. Titus is unpopular in the city of Rome, but he is a very successful general. And Titus gets the job. Vespasian is not very happy about this, and uh, grievances between the two brothers just sort of increase over Titus's reign. <laughs> but uh, Titus, uh, he ends his reign, even though it's a very short reign, even though he comes in being generally hated, he's one of the most popular emperors Rome ever has. Wow. Because he is an efficient administrator. He, is, he knows how to work. He knows how to work disaster relief, and his reign hey, is full of that. his reign is full of disasters. Uh, well, seventy nine isn't that quite prominent. Um, you yeah. know, there was yeah he, some geologic he gets, event. They they put the crown on his head, and literally within months, Mount Vesuvius erupts and buries <sighs> two prominent Roman cities, Pompeii <laughs> and Herculaneum. Oh, there's that's an omen if I've ever seen one. Yep. Um, Fun fact: I've been there, and yeah. God, it is a, is it, it is, cool. It is it is an amazing city. I have been there. It is beautiful. Um, okay, guys, way to just show off. It is an <laughs> there is a the estimated death toll is sixteen thousand people in a single day. That is massive for uh, for Roman settlements because aside from Rome. There are no real mega cities in the empire. And Pompeii was isn't was an old city. We could have a whole episode. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it primarily like a villa town for a lot was, of the rich? It was. It was. It was meant. It, it was a. It was a place with a lot of rich people in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's there's some fun some fun sights yeah, to see not. there. Yeah, we're not going to talk about. I yeah. spent night like from nine a.m. to five p.m. in the city, and I still didn't see the whole thing. Yeah, no, it is. It, it takes a lot. I did um, see a cool dog, though. Yep. And the cats. Uh, he, yep. <laughs> That's the highlight. So what else happened during uh, this man's then, short but eventful reign? Then in the very next year, in 80 CE, um, both a plague and a fire hit Rome oh, at geez. about the same time. <laughs> so this and man he, had a cursed reign. And, yeah, and in all of these... He's able to perform such effective disaster relief. He's able to get to the victims. He's able to keep people who, you know, are on the outskirts of Pompeii, who, you know, sort of escape the edges of the plague or the fire. He's able to keep them alive. He's able to help them. He's able to mitigate the damage of each disaster, one after the other. And the people love him for it because he gets a reputation as the emperor who cares, as the emperor who, despite being hated by the gods, loved the people. And the people love him back for it. And they forgive him for all these horrible events that he had nothing to do with. That is wow. that is like a hell of a... Yeah. That is the ultimate he, like public yeah. image rede redemption. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, PR in the... Like, through the roof. <laughs> and, and the best part is, he comes into this at the start of his reign. When he's doing... When, when, when he's coming into power, 
he is hated because right now um, the city and people of Rome have some very strong anti-Jew sentiments on account of having recently put down a major bloody rebellion from that quarter. The Jewish people are considered heretical and innately dangerous to the existence of the world. I've heard this story before. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that Titus has done is his mistress slash girlfriend at the time is uh, a woman named Berenice, who is the princess and queen of the Roman client state of Judea. Basically, he takes her as his girlfriend after he conquers the city. And this association, the fact that he is sleeping with the with, you know, what is supposed to be the client state queen of Judea is hugely unpopular for a multiple reasons. It's con- number one, it calls back images of Cleopatra and Mark Antony, which was a Rome, which was, you know, a pseudo client queen of a Romans of a Roman state seducing and destroying a great Roman man in the eyes of the Roman propaganda and the Roman principles. And the second thing is that since she's Jewish, he's considered to be favoring the Jewish people and is uh, accused of caring about them more than the Romans, despite the fact that, you know, he spent four years burning the city of Jerusalem to the ground and massacring its populace. <laughs> yeah, it seems like favoritism. He left some alive. Yeah, yeah clearly. I so mean, you the, took one of his wives. Yeah. Girlfriend. So, you know, they kind of overlook his military accomplishments and say, yeah, well, you didn't really conquer them because you're sleeping with one. It's like, I took their queen to bed. <laughs> <laughs> like their queen their queen now has to sleep with me because I beat them in war so badly. I won. It's not, no, it's not, I not so, It's like they're submitting to me, guys. And uh, it gets so bad that he actually has to exile Berenice to Judea for the rest of her life. Oh, he had to break They don't get to be school. together. Oh, yeah. It's okay. I, he didn't I, rule that I feel long. like that might have been a good thing for her. Because I doubt that relationship was too consensual. So the, the relationship seemed pretty functional for an for an, a dyna- an imperial dynastic relation. Oh, that's a that's a it first. was it was shockingly normal. Yeah, so like the only other normal man. relationship that I can see that I know of. I mean, I guess Augustus and Livy or Livia. He did but, try to um, kill him by the end, though. True. But uh, the only other one I can think of is Antonius Pius and Faustina. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Those two had a functional relationship, and they actually got to be married. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. For the for the most part, Roman emperors do not have ha- have very dysfunctional marriages. Let's just say. <laughs> even even for Roman standards, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's it, it it's pretty bad. Um, however, despite all his accomplishments, uh, he dies unexpectedly of fever in the year 81. Um, some people accused Domitian of assassinating him. However, by the end of Domitian's reign, Domitian is so unpopular that it's entirely possible that this is propaganda. However, Titus does die unexpectedly of fever on the road 
shortly after meeting with his brother, and the meeting is not particularly amicable, as I understand it. Oh. He had some bad pickled herring or something. Yeah. Uh, there is a fun uh, uh, thing I came across where, in the Jewish tradition, uh, there is a statement that uh, God sent a fly up Titus's nose and gave him brain fever to kill him in retribution for burning uh, the city of Jerusalem. <laughs> That is a very creative way to kill someone. I will yeah. not lie. Which, which I will. Which I would ask. You guys waited eight years, and he was king of the world for two of them. <laughs> God was busy. Up the wrath of heaven. <laughs> God was busy. He was probably doing other things, like killing his son. Oh no! Wait, that happened thirty years prior. Yeah. That happened. That happened a lot prior. Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah. Uh, Sack of Jerusalem. Is yeah. 73. So, 70 years earlier. Well, actually, no, because he died at 33, so 40 years prior. Yeah, yeah it's it's been a while. Um, it's been a while. Um, and this brings us to the last of the Flavians, Domitian, who somehow manages to just wreck everything his predecessors have done. You <laughs> fucked it all up. He continues this massive Flavian construction projects, just build, 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 because they need to project that they are strong, that they are emperors. They, the entirety of the Flavian dynasty feels very insecure that they're not legitimate Julio-Claudians. They feel it, and they are very worried about it. So they constantly have to project power. And, uh, to this end, Domitian builds the Arch of Titus in, in commemoration of his brother's reign and to prove that he most definitely did not murder the man because look at how much he loves his brother. He's building him a massive marble arch. Oh, Especially you. his really popular brother, who the people yep. adore. Yep. I was thinking that the arch was in my background, but uh, that's the tar That's the Arch of Sept. Septimus Servius. Yeah, that is that is, and, the, that is uh, two dynasties later. <laughs> yeah, so so you see, you could see the uh, tomb, like so you see the baths of Constantine, or the Basilica of Constantine, and then there's the uh, tomb dedicated to Romulus, or yeah. one of the Romulus. Um, if you look, or if the picture was wide enough, it'd be further to the left, or at least left on my, for me. It. It's so it's off screen. Let's just leave it at yeah. that. It's outside the Romans gonna have Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just do that. So so Domitian comes in. He's an extremely effective bureaucrat. He's involved in everything. There is no decision that D Domitian is not a part of. So he was an absolutist. Yeah. Well, no, he's he's very good at the job because there's absolutists and there's absolutists who actually know the job, and he's one that knows the job. However, okay, so he was prepared for the role. However, he is an absolutist. And since, you know, he doesn't have his, you know, father's ability to just expand the Senate with supporters because, you know, there hasn't been a war in some, uh, in you know, some, uh, was it, 12 years, the Senate is still relatively full. And, oh boy, does he butt heads with them. Oh, no. Sorry, because he's the one who's supposed to be the statesman. Yeah. He, he is the statesman. However... Decades of being a statesman and being overlooked by his father and brother I mean he's got pretty big chip on his shoulder and has spent the last, you know, 12 years thinking he can run the state better than either of them. 
<laughs> so now it's his chance to see. Yeah, put your yeah. money where your mouth is, Domitian. Yeah. And so now he doesn't want to listen to anyone. And he decides that as the last Flavine standing, his power should be absolute. He uh, he even abandons uh, the primary title of the uh, of the emperor because in this sort of early imperium of Rome, imperator really means commander, and it's not necessarily the official title of emperor as a, any Roman general, any Roman consul, any Roman father could be called imperator by his subordinates because it just meant you are the one in charge. The official title of emperor is princeps, which is the first among equals. He throws this title out the window in favor of something far more sensible. Dominus et Deus, your Lord and God. Wow. He, demand, oh, okay. he demands to be addressed not as Princeps Domitian of Rome, but Lord and God Domitian of Rome. <laughs> oh, boy. That's only a mild step up in title. This man's tried to pull a Nero. And, I don't even think Nero tried the, that. No, not even Nero had the ego to change the title. Nero still had that much sense. What little sense Nero did possess. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But, uh, yeah. And he goes ham. He decides that new taxation made Vespasian popular. I'm going to make new taxes on everything. Taxes. <laughs> God, uh, he, he decides that, you know, you know what? Uh, Vespasian got rid, you know, took the properties of people who opposed him like the Stoics and exiled him. I'm going to do that to the Senate. Oh, geez. Uh, and uh, he did all of this because unlike his two uh, predecessors, Domitian didn't really care about a balanced budget. He cared about getting the projects up and out now. He saw how Titus was able to get a ton of acclaim for the Colosseum even though Vespasian was the one who had commissioned it and saw it built. So he wants all his great works done and done now while he's in office. And that means he's got to front a lot more cash rather than string it out over several years. So he just starts whacking people for their money. <laughs> and let me guess, did that add extra value to the coinage? Did it work? Uh -huh. Uh, so he does revalue the Roman coinage. He adds more silver to it. That is one of the good things he does. That's one of the few things he does right in terms of policy decisions is he's able to, he, he's one of the few emperors that's able to understand enough about economics to sandbag the Roman inflation, which has been an issue since I think the Punic Wars, <laughs> a full uh, 300 years prior. <laughs> That's a lot of inflation. They they have a they have a very hard time dealing with money. Um, I wonder also, why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He also uh, manages to make peace with the Dacians. Uh, King Decibus Dacians. The Dacians are a formidable enemy of Rome. They're in modern day Romania. Uh, the Dacians do not get conquered until Emperor Trajan of the Antonine Dynasty. They. They're pretty hardy folk, and he's able to end uh, what is ultimately a futile and expensive war. 
mostly because he's interested in trying to build his arches and expand the Colosseum and do all his public works. And he needs but, the money. Wars are expensive. But, you know, it is a futile war. Rome, Rome isn't losing. It's not an ignominious defeat. But you're going to be there for another decade or more just fighting in this mosh pit. And it's he ends that war with honor, which is all he really needs out of it. Uh, however, about this same time, he succumbs to paranoia and begins a reign of terror in 89. Hey, I've he's heard been, this story before. Yeah, he's been emperor for eight years. He's going to rule for seven more. And he goes absolutely insane and becomes convinced that everyone is plotting against him. They don't love me enough. And he just starts killing people. This man really needed a therapist. Most of the emperors do. And to be honest, when you are an emperor of Rome and at least one major faction doesn't like you, either the Senate or the people, you can really begin to feel like they are plotting against you. You can really begin to feel like they are being ingrateful because you're doing a lot of work for them. They're just not seeing it and they're just not loving you for it. And you can feel entitled to that love. And when it's the Senate that doesn't like you, they often actually are trying to kill you. I like to imagine so that the paranoia can become very justifiable. Is that what ended up happening? Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. He the, is the Senate uh, killing an emperor. Hmm. I've never heard Fun of that fact, before. The Senate doesn't actually kill him. The paranoia goes further. It's his own imperial court. Oh. His own staff murders him. So he was very unpopular. He is so unpopular that he gets committed to a sin that no emperor has before him. Not Nero, not Tiberius, not Caligula. That's, that's is, pretty far, sad. Yeah. Yes. We have what is a yeah, we have essentially three terrible emperors. These men were, had their own reigns of terror. They were megalomaniacs. They were violent. They were often insane. Domitian gets the worst. He is committed to damnatio memori, which means even his memory is damned to hell. His face is smashed off of statues. His name chiseled out of records. He is effectively unborn. Wait, I thought I thought Nero got the damnatio memori as well. I don't think he did. He? Yeah, because like I a think, lot of I don't think they damned his. I didn't think they damned his memory. They definitely took his name off of um, some public monuments, I'm pretty sure. But I don't think, like, after... I don't think it was to the extension of Domitian, though. Because Domitian built a I, lot I think, of things. I, I think they may have Demnatio memoried him after uh, some... I, I, I think they may have done it later, but not on his death. Okay, fair enough. Either either way, again, like this is this is a big thing, especially in Rome, where your memory is your is, life. Yeah. So it one is. part, a uh, little side tangent about um, most Romans believed that as long as your name was spoken, you were never truly dead or gone, which is why they you would have tombs that you could like interact with like some yeah. tombs would have like shade that you could like sit on 
on your mm-hmm. way into Rome. And, you know, you'd be like, oh, this tomb is dedicated to so-and-so. And therefore, as long as your name was being spoken, you were still alive in a way. So yeah. the so the Denatsu Memoriae is a basically, if the person's already dead, you're killing them twice. Yeah. Uh, additionally, as an emperor, he's expected to be deified. Damnatio Memoriae prevents that. He cannot be worshipped uh, in the imperial cult like his brother and his father were. And uh, I double-checked. Nero does get Damnatio Memori. However, I be- however it is it is not on his death, but it is uh, as part of Vespasian's uh, uh. Uh, uh, attempt to prove himself greater and worthy of the Julio-Claudians by basically saying, look, the Julio-Claudians you know, really screwed up. I am the opposite of that. Now, let's get rid of Nero. Also, I'd really like to smash this giant statue of his next to my new theater. <laughs> They're just like, ah, sorry, God said no. What? The God said no. Damn. He is the God. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, when that's the last... Uh, that's the end of the Flavian dynasty. It's just Titus and his sons. It's the only dynasty to not include extended family. There is no cousins, no uncles, no nephews, no adopted family. It's literally just this man and his biological sons. And uh, with the death of uh, Domitian, the Roman Empire has actually learned from the death of Nero. There is no major succession crisis following. Because the Roman Senate... Instead of letting generals sort of declare, get themselves, you know, declared by their soldiers, emperors and marching on Rome, they instead convene a special session to choose from among their number a worthy heir. And they settle on Nerva for two key reasons. Nerva is going to begin the Antonine dynasty because number one, Nerva is married to a distant like daughter of one of the, uh, julio-claudian emperors like she can trace her like matrilineal lineage back there so he's married to a julio-claudian so we can reset the clock back past this flavian disaster with domitian if we put nerva in charge number two nerva is super old he's going to die soon which means that all the factions of rome can accept him as their emperor because basically He's dead. He's going to buy us some time to sort of consolidate our power, find our own candidates, and then we'll be poised to strike and take the uh, throne for ourselves. So that's how he gets into there. He's just an elder statesman. He'd been an ally of the Flavians. But Nerva is also very smart because he learned from the Julio-Claudians and the Flavians as well. And he learned that number one, Bloodlines, not the best way of choosing uh, the next king of everything. And number two, people kind of need to get to know your heir and how they're going to act before they're king. So he looks around all the uh, accomplished statesmen, all the major generals, and he chooses to adopt his successor. Because lack of heirs has killed off two dynasties, And if we just establish a policy of adopting the most competent person in the empire, 
when we are declared emperor, suddenly we're never going to run out of heirs, and the emperor usually is not going to be horrible. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he starts Rome on the track of the five good emperors with the Antonine dynasties. He gets five very competent, very capable people who, while they are effectively military dictators, are not self-indulgent megalomaniacs. Which is all Rome is really asking for at this point. <laughs> you think it wouldn't be too much to ask for, but you'd be surprised. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, the man he adopt he adopts as emperor that really gets the system going is Trajan, who is considered by the Roman people at the time and for a long time after the greatest Roman emperor of their history. Wow. Greater even than Augustus. Trajan is the only man, uh, by the way, who is allowed to be buried within the walls of Rome. Yeah, that's a big it's, thing. It's, it's considered sacrilege to have the dead in the same space as the living, but Trajan is so great that they enshrine him within the bounds of their own city. And a call. So his... Yeah, in the tra in Trajan's column, in a tower to his own accomplishments, because Good he is him. so great. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Flavians. But that's going to wrap it up for the Flavians, as we have now moved successfully into the next dynasty. And the Flavians—they're a little blip on the map in terms of time, but they built Rome. They built it. They they institute a building program that is not matched, with the sole exception of maybe Augustus turning Rome to the city of marble. Interesting. So yeah, you, they did have quite the impact, and obviously you highlighted a couple of really major events when you think of ancient Rome. I mean, the Colosseum yeah. jumps out, people think of Pompeii. It's like, oh, yeah. these are all within that. Yeah, they're the shortest-lived, but perhaps the most eventful dynasty of the Principality of, uh, uh, of the Principality era. But uh, I think that's a good note for us to leave off on for our 1,000 subscribers special. And I did. Uh, I decided to check real quick. It is in fact at 1,000 now. Yeah, we have hit. We have, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, pr we prepared this video when we uh, started rising over 900, and at the time of recording, while it was recording, we passed uh, our thousand subscribers. So, thank you so much for that. We do appreciate you, and uh, you know. Hopefully soon we'll be monetized on YouTube so we can get some money to uh, actually help us continue to make the videos that uh, you are supporting us in doing. So thank you so much for that. And also hopefully we have some fun projects coming out soon. Ooh, spoilers. Let's not, yeah. let's not get not too spoilers. far. Yeah. Let's call it uh, trailers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've, uh, yeah. Uh, our normal schedule will continue uh, around this video, but uh, this has just been a lovely little bonus special for all of you. Thank you so much for uh, getting us to this milestone. And I really don't think we'd make it. I'm really excited. I got to be here for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and then we got to do one of my favorite topics. Yeah. Yeah. Ju Justin over here, Mr. Optimism uh, of all things. Uh, he wasn't predicting this until we were on for at least a year. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like, even like, when I first like i start i watched some of the early like i uh of course like i subscribed when you guys asked me to and yeah. i was like i watched we didn't ask anyone to subscribe <laughs> i i watched you know because like i i i very much enjoy the content you know i do follow some other like historical based podcasts 
but uh this one's fun especially since it's my friends i get to, i know who they are um but also this is i get to see my friends explain their fields and their knowledge even if they just learned it themselves sometimes yeah <laughs> yeah so it's really fun i get to see them use yeah. their knowledge yeah, yeah, but yeah, the best estimate for uh, even getting this far was twelve to eighteen months. Uh, you've gotten us there in nine, so thank you all so much for subs- you know for subscribing. Uh, continue to subscribe, continue to like. Uh, we want to get to the ten thousand sub special after all, right, guys? <laughs> we may well, not do one for every thousand milestone, but we're, we're gonna, gonna incrementally definitely the five thousand one. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing one. I for think every ten. Thousand. Ten is healthy. We can't oversaturate our own market, but thank you guys for watching. We'll see you guys in, um, in two weeks with our next podcast episode. Um, this is going to end up dropping on Thursday, August 11th. So we're recording it a little bit ahead of time, but thank you guys for watching. And be sure to check out tomorrow's HH Reads, yeah. which that one should be. Uh, that is La Morte de Arthur, I believe. Uh, the Ooh. Death of King Arthur, which is uh, an Englishman who decided to title his uh, his book in French. Oh, the, those uh, French. Wanna... They're so yeah. exotic. Yeah. You want to hear the reasons? Uh, be sure to listen to the reads, because I do explain it there. Uh, <laughs> it's a fun reason. Thank yeah. you guys for watching, and we'll catch you all next time. Peace.